I've got Bryce Davies here with me, and Bryce is, how long have you been with me? Oh, gosh. Uh, maybe 11 years, 10 years. Over 10 years, which just for the record, okay, I'm, I'm going to toot my own horn just a little bit here. First of all, this, this industry seems to be very much a revolving industry, right? People bounce from one place to the next place to the next place. I really think what they're doing is they're looking for that magic pill where they don't have to work, you know? And, and people promise, oh, come over here and we'll give you leads. And then they learn that's not true. And, and then I'll watch them. And six months later, they've bounced to someplace else and bounced to someplace else. And I've got, if, if you listed out all my agents, I've got probably two pages that have been with me for over 10 years, which nice. is phenomenal. Yeah. And so Bryce and his wife are a team, which makes them doubly phenomenal. Not only that they're both working together, but they've stayed married together, working together. <laughs> and as far as I can tell, it's only brought you closer together. And I love well, that. Well, if, we, if you ask her, I don't know what she says, but I love it. Good. <laughs> I don't know if she loves it as much as I do, but... She, if but she doesn't, it. then she's not invited on the podcast. How's that? Yeah, no. No, it's worked out good. She, she fills in where I'm weak and vice versa. So. Yeah. So Bryce and Larry are constantly some of my very top performing agents. And I wanted to bring Bryce in today and have a conversation with him, more story time. You know, in the past, I've done some interviews with people and we've asked more detailed questions of, of trainers or mentors and things like that. But I just wanted you to share some stories about what, uh, what you feel like makes a great real estate agent. And we, we talked a little bit previous to this and in fact, one of the reasons this came up is you just called me, was it just last week or two weeks ago, where there's a fraud going on in Utah. It's being per perpetrated onto the public, but they're wrapping in real estate agents and title companies. They're, they're defrauding a lot of people. They're harming a lot of people with this. And I was wondering if you'd be willing to share the story of how this yep. was tried on you and why you being a good agent were able to catch it and help avoid problems. So um, we got a phone call from somebody, um, very hard to hear. They said they had bad, they were in a bad service area. I said, well, just, just text me. Can you text? He said, yeah, we can text. So they started texting me. They says, we're from New York. We own property up in uh, Eden, Utah. It's about an acre, okay? And um, the, I noticed that the phone number's from Idaho, which no big deal. I mean, someone can have a number from a different area. Right. Um, so I asked them their name in on the phone before they actually started texting. I asked the name. Well, I noticed when I asked the name that they said the last name first and the first name last. <laughs> so, okay. which that might be odd to someone. Like, why would they do that? Well, if you pull up, if you pull up any tax record, which are public which are public, right. if you read it, they list the last name first and the first name last. So that was my first red flag. I'm like, why would they do that? And that doesn't necessarily mean it was fraud. They could have just, you know, that's just how they do things. I don't know. Yeah. So um, they says, we really are interested in selling it. Now, here's the thing. They had done some homework because they, they told me what they wanted to sell it for. And when I pulled up pricing, it was actually pretty close. Okay. So they, they knew. So that made me think, well, God, they know. They know the market. They know what their property's worth. So, but I, being a little concerned about our first conversation, text them some basic questions like, do you have any water shares? You know, what company is it? That kind of stuff. Um, questions that a fraudulent person may not know because water shares aren't on the public tax records. You have to go right. get those at the water company. Mm -hmm. 
So they responded and says, well, we're not sure um, on the water shares. Um, we probably have four is what they told me. Well, okay. this is an acre. So if they have four shares of water, <laughs> they're doing acre. really well. <laughs> um, so, but still they, they asked questions that were somewhat like intelligent. Mm -hmm. um, the other thing too is I think what's happening is these people who own it live in New York. They don't live local. Tax records have an address. There's no other contact information. So it's a prime subject or sub, you know, prime property, I guess, to pick to fraud because they're not going to notice if there's a sign on their property because they live in New York. Yeah. So just to be clear, this is a fraud that the first it was brought to my attention was down in southern Utah. Lots of vacant land down there. And so people were calling up, presenting themselves as the owner actually fabricating IDs, which as we go on with your story, they did to you as well, and actually going through and closing on the sale of the home and getting proceeds from it. And it was never their property to sell to begin with. And the only way you can accomplish that is with vacant property, right? Now you could potentially do it even with a vacant home. If a home's just sitting there for a long time, you could maybe get away with this because the whole idea is that the actual owners never see that it's been put up for sale. And they're hiring real, real real estate agents to do this work for them. They're hiring real title companies to do this work for them. And then they fabricate all of the information. And because they're fabricating IDs, I mean, that would be the simple thing, right? And it's not normal for us to ask for ID, call us up and want us to list your home. Okay, prove to me that you are who you say you are. We haven't had to do that before. But one of the things that a good agent does is when something happens somewhere else, to somebody, they report it. And we have a pretty good internal network, right? So that board down there says, hey, this is happening. And then we see it happening up in Park City. And then it was spread out uh, by our board of realtors up here. Now, I happen to be a member of that board down there as well. So I knew about it a couple of weeks before I saw it come up here. But this fraud has started to spread throughout all the state. And it's involving a lot of our local agents and the good thing about a good agent is that they're plugged into these channels. And that's the one thing that I really wanted to make stand out is there are in every profession, there's people that are great at their jobs and there's people that just leave you scratching your head. Like, how do you even have a job? Like, how is this possible that you're still employed here? Right. And that's why I want to bring you on is you're one of the great agents, but there are a large number of agents that aren't plugged in to these channels. And so this fraud could be perpetrated on them and they didn't read my newsletter. They didn't read the newsletter from the boards. You know, they didn't call their broker for support. Um, and if they didn't do any of those things, how easy would it have been for them to miss these little clues that you're picking up on? Because like you said, okay, it's an out-of-state area code. You know, that doesn't necessarily mean it, it's fraudulent, but all of these things start to trigger like, Hey, I've seen something about this. Yeah, and they and they're they're convincing too. So if you're not, I mean, I've done work up in Eden. Yeah, this is this, this is the Eden. Saudi prince, right? right? They, they, they're like, hey, we've seen your signs up here in Eden. I just sold a house in Eden, so it's not like they they have done a little homework. Yeah. So um, to move forward, I did call broker Eric. You know, let him know what was going on. I also called the division real estate to let them know about the situation on this mm -hmm. property. I called the county let them know that they might want to flag that property. I also call the sheriff's department. Now, right. I know that most people wouldn't go through all that in time, but I don't like fraud. So right. that's what I did. Currently, where it stands is I asked them for proof of who they were. Who they were. So they sent me a copy of a driver's license. 
which once we investigated a driver's license, and we actually called the New York Driver's License Division, and it is a fraudulent driver's license. Where it stands right now is we're in contact with the police in New York. They're trying oh. to get a hold of the people who own the property, so they're aware. Okay. The sheriff here in our neck of the woods is waiting to get confirmation on that so that they can make a decision on what they want to do. So... Long story short, it's out there, and uh, we need to be aware. And not just aware, but we need to make people aware because the county wasn't, they acted like they were clueless when I told them about mm-hmm. it. Um, even the division when I talked to them, they were, they they really didn't act like it was something that was really? a big deal. So I was surprised Yeah. that not even they were, you know. Yeah. And the sheriff's department was like, now what's going on? Like these things aren't getting, part of it is they need to be reported. Yeah. So people are aware. Mm-hmm. And the more it's reported, and, and thank goodness for good realtors in other parts of the state that brought it to to my attention, to our local board, because like you're saying, all of the typical agencies that would protect people appeared clueless in this, and yet the realtors knew about it. The good realtors did, and I appreciate you yeah, for, for doing so. that. Now, not everybody is these scary fraud people. You know, we started this story out. I think it's attention grabbing because these are actually bad people that are trying to do bad things. And that isn't always the case. In fact, those are pretty rare. But what is a very common occurrence is that we have agents that just quite simply, uh, this is the distinguishing line between a great agent, a good agent, maybe even a poor agent. Okay. Because, yeah, let's be honest. They all exist. The purpose of this podcast is to inspire people to be better, to help encourage people to get the training, to get plugged into some of these resources there. And quite frankly, I think it's a great chance to showcase the great agents and the difference that they can make to people. But there are sometimes agents that are just very simply a little bit, I'm just going to say selfish. And the problem with that, because we're all a little bit selfish, right? I mean, self-love, that's important, right? However, we have this little thing called fiduciary duty, which means that we put our clients' interests ahead of our own. And so uh, do you have a story about that? Just to differentiate again, what a great agent does and how they put their clients' interests first. Yeah. Um, A simple one would be uh, there is there are some agents and there's actually some trainers that teach that you uh, move homes quickly, price them so that they move quickly, makes you look good, and then um, they can hurry and move on to the next one. Um, and that's kind of their strategy. Uh, there's an agent that I won't mention names, but is very well known and is very good at this. Mm-hmm. I was um, I went to a listing presentation where he had just left the previous day it was a home up in Kaysville. Um, he had let them know that the price on this house would be around 520. I had done my own research on it, and although 520 would have been great because I could have sold it quickly, I was showing mid mid 550s. Right. Okay. My clients thought it was a little more than that. We started a little high, but I let them know that five in the 550s is where we really need to be. Eventually, we got there, and when we did, it sold. We ended up selling for about 555. Okay. Um, now we didn't sell it in two days, right? It took, it took a couple weeks to get it sold. Now was your client's goal to sell it in two days? It wasn't. That's the, that, that's the big key. And I will ask people that 
do you need to have a quick sell? Do you need to be out of here right now, or do you have time to be a little patient so we can make sure we can test the market and get the money you need? Right. Right? Because that's that's critical, too. Like, sometimes I've got guys, they have to jet. Yeah. And having that conversation right up front with people to gotta, know what yeah. their needs are so you can meet their needs, that's critical. Yeah, if they tell me they're patient and they really just, their their main objective is to get as much out of the house as possible, then that's what I'm going to do. Mm-hmm. Well, and this is a simple situation where, yeah, I, it took me a couple weeks to sell, but we got $35,000 more. So if I had a choice of saying right now I could get, you know, in two days, I could sell it and get 500 or 520, I guess, or I could wait two weeks and make $35,000. Not a lot of people that are going to pass up on 35 grand in two weeks. That's a pretty good paycheck right yeah, there. Yeah, it's a lot of money. Right. I mean, that's, I mean, that covers all commission. It does. So this is an interesting thing that you mentioned. When I first started training in real estate 15, 16 years ago, there was some studies that had been done by the NAR, the National Association of Realtors, and they said that an agent-assisted home sell was actually the uh, the home sold for $60,000 more on average. And this was back when averages were like two, 300,000. Yeah, much smaller. Yeah, significant difference. Nowadays, technology has closed that gap a little bit, but the last study that I saw was still over $40,000 more that the clients made with an agent-assisted home sale. And I I think we can attribute that to a lot of things. You know, pricing a home correctly, um, there are some serious disadvantages trying to do that kind of thing on your own. Uh, Negotiating when you don't have those details, that's hard to do as well. But here we're touching on such a simple concept as just having an agent that has your best interests at heart and says, what are your goals? Rather than this other strategy, which I know is being taught by some people, some trainers out there, which is turn them and burn them. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, if, if you only have to work two days, think of how many more closings you could have a month. Does that make sense? Sure it does, unless you take into account fiduciary duty, which is our legal responsibility. And once fiduciary you... duty and second home sales from referrals. Yeah, that's true. That's a great point. And so when you factor into those so, things... I mean, I, I don't... There's somebody I know. He was pushing 120 houses a year mm-hmm. 12, 13 years ago, long time ago. He was one of the top guys. He hasn't done it for a long time. I was talking to him the other day, he seemed like getting back into it. And I said, he says, I don't even know where to start. I got to start from ground zero. I says, did you not keep track of all of your, your people? Like, your, yeah. your people? Did you, don't you have referrals from them? He's like, oh, I hardly ever got any referrals. Like, how did you never get referrals? Because I'll tell you what he did. He was moving them and moving them and moving them. And he didn't do the extra little things that made that person go, I'm going to give this number to my friend or my family member. So I told him, I said, so you just earned a bunch of money. You didn't work for retirement. Yeah. If you want to work for retirement, come talk to me. I'll show you how to actually take care of people and keep track of them. That's great. That's great. Um, So a lot of people, they do see the value in using a real estate agent when they're buying or selling a home. And then we come on to new builds. And builders are historically pretty inflexible, you know. They're not using the state-approved contracts. They've had attorneys draft their own contracts. Their agents are typically not very well-trained because as general populist real estate agents, we're trained to handle all sorts of different scenarios. Those agents are instructed by the builder, this is our scenario. You're trained on how to do this. Don't deviate from it. 
right? Yep. And so those agents typically aren't as well-trained as a good agent that's serving everybody. Um, and I'm not knocking them. Let's be clear, there are some great builder's agents out there. But it does make people question if the contracts aren't super negotiable. You know, they've got their one product and it's their way or the highway, which a lot of builders have been lately because there's so much demand on them. What value does a, a real estate agent have? So, you know, if I want to buy that new home, why should I call you? So this is one of the areas that actually kind of gets under my skin just a little bit. Okay. There's more moving parts on a build job than any other build. Yet the average person, they will look to go get an agent to help them buy an existing home. But when it comes to new construction, they go drive around, they go to open houses, and they plug into these things without agents all the time. And when you hear the horror stories, a lot of the times they're coming from the build job that they entered into. Mm -hmm. um, one, one specific thing, and they do have their own contracts. There's never been a builder contract that I have not read before my clients signed it. Every last piece of it. I'm not an attorney, but I've read enough contracts to know if something sounds fishy. And maybe fishy isn't the right word. Something sounds complicated. And I've been around enough people, and this will shock all the engineers out there, but most people don't read all their contracts. <laughs> the vast majority of people just put immense faith that somebody else isn't taking advantage of them, and they just look for where to sign because they don't want to feel stupid. They don't want to put somebody out while they sit there and read. Engineers don't care. They will, they'll read every detail. They don't care how long they make you wait. I've had a, a closing that took three hours because he wanted to read in detail every page. So I can tell you that the typical client isn't going to read it, and they're looking at you to help protect mm -hmm. them on it. So if you don't read it, you're not you're doing him a disservice. Yeah. So here's here's the <clears> thing. Um, I early on I did a build job that at the end it became a he said she said when I was early young agent. No, we never said we'd do that. No, you said you would. No, we wouldn't. No, we would. From that day forth, there's never been a change order. There's never been a change on the plan where I don't make everybody initial. I don't care what builder it is. Mm -hmm. They have to initial that the change has been done. And when it gets down to the end, you, you'll be surprised how many times we're like, we never said we'd do that. I'm like, you initialed it right here. Yeah. And it has to get fixed. And that's happened more times than I can count. This particular story, um, these guys had wanted to put a side drive for a big RV pad. So we shuffled, we pushed <clears throat> the whole house as far to the left as we could so that we could put this big RV pad right there. Mm-hmm. I showed up because I would do periodically checks on just drive by, look at the house, see what the progress was. And I noticed that they had put a sewer cleanup pipe directly right in the center of where we're going to put this RV pad. Well, that defeats the purpose of us moving the whole house to the left. Now there's a big sewer cleanup pipe sticking out of the <laughs> middle of the RV pad. So I called the builder <clears throat> and I called, I called the agent. Well, there's nothing we can do about it. That's just where it has to be put. Well, before I call the builder, I call the city. I call all the municipalities that are in charge of where those sewer cleanouts go so I can know the real answers. My response from the city was they didn't have to put it there. They could put it anywhere in this entire vicinity. One of them said, I have no idea why they put it there. That's not even the easiest spot to put it. So before I called them, I had that information already. When they says, oh, no, they had to put it there, says, no, they actually didn't. This is a response from the city inspector. Well, I'm going to have to talk to the builder. The builder got to me and said, well, we'll move it. We're going to charge your client 1200 bucks." 
I said, okay. Wow. So being unflexible as they are, what they can't flex on is contractual stuff. Mm-hmm. I went back to that contract, every last word of that contract, to find something that they may have messed up on. I don't care what it was. I was going to hold them to it. Because right. if they're going to do this, I was going to hold them to it. I found something. When we move that entire house to the left, their process there, this is a bigger builder, their process was everything needed to be signed off on. We had a signing day where we signed off on all the plat stuff. They missed that. They never signed off on that house. My clients never signed off on that house moving to the left. So I called the agent. And I said, what does the plat say that we all signed on that that house, where's, where's that house supposed to be sitting? She pulled it up. She says, um, in the center. I said, and where is it sitting? <laughs> she said, all the way to the left. I said, okay, I want the entire house moved to the right 10 feet, where it says on the plat it needs to be. That's impossible. Well, it's in the contract, so I want it done. Well, that's unreasonable. <laughs> I said, well, you can fix it real easy. I want that sewer pipe clean, cleaner, the sewer pipe clean out, moved 15 feet to the right out of the way. No charge to my clients or we're going to have an issue. It was fixed the next week. <laughs> I love that story. So you just have to sometimes dig in. Like It's not always easy with them, but they people really do need a little bit more support when they're doing builds. You know, and sometimes I've seen builder contracts over 20 pages long. And sometimes you get in there and you get in the weeds and you start really looking at things that they've written and you're just shocked, almost horrified at the kinds of things they put in there and that everybody's signing off on. And you bring it to their attention and say, can we change this language in the contract? Nope. And really all you can do at that point is go to your clients and say, you need to be aware of this. That's and what you have this here. may be a serious, serious enough issue that we go look at other homes. Let's go look at other builders. Let's talk to other builders. And a lot of people miss those details. As long as they know in advance before they make the decision, yeah. you've done your job. Yeah. That's what that's what we're here to do, they educate can, and show them what to they do. They can make an educated decision to take a risk, but if they don't know about it and it comes back to bite them later on, which happened to a lot of people over the last few years, we saw builders doing some really aggressive things, You know, waiting for the week before closing, hiking the price up $80,000, $100,000, said, fine, you don't like it, you can get out because they had such a backlog of people wanting the home and the contracts allowed for that kind of thing. And, you know, it, it's not like you could take them to court and enforce anything because what you had signed was a contract that allowed for those types of changes, even a week before closing. There's a common theme that I see amongst great agents, and that is that they perform phenomenal service. Yeah. Um, so we do try to go over the top, maybe more than we should, but we find that most of our bread and butter comes from referrals. Uh-huh. And so we do everything we can to protect that referral process. And when you do that by making them feel comfortable giving you to their best friend or family member. One sp- specific incident that took place, I had some clients that I helped build a house for up in Eden. And uh, they were out of the country on a trip. They called me in a panic. Um, they said our dog sitter showed up to take care of the dog and they said the window well in the back was filling up with water and it was only a few inches from spilling into the house. House is only, you know, a year and a half old. Wow. Brand new kitchen down there was where the window well was filling up to 
they go in the house. They called me. They didn't know who else to call. That was their first thought. Like, just, just let's just call Bryce. We'll, yeah. we'll our agent. We'll figure it out. So I could not get a plumber up there that quick. I was I had stuff going on. I had appointments. I moved them. I grabbed my sump pump. I live in Hooper. It's like a fifty minute drive. I tore up there. I got there just as the water started to begin the spilling, just trickling over. Yeah. Got my sump up in there. They didn't have an extension cord long enough. There, um, ran over the neighbors, got an extension cord, got it plugged in. Long story short, I saved who knows how many thousands of dollars worth of damage from the water going into this basement. What had happened is that we got a really warm day, but it had been winter, so the downspouts were all frozen. So nothing was going down the downspouts. They were it was just coming right over the top of the roof and over the mm-hmm. the uh, spouts. Anyways, I saved it. I had to hang out there for an hour or so to make sure the water got all pumped out. Left the pump there with an automated pump on there, so if it started filling back up, it would pump out. Um, they were so grateful for what I had done. They became like one of my best refer for referrers is that the best referrers referrers yeah um i have got at least 10 deals from them home sales that i've closed on as referrals from these two that's a great story here's a couple things that i love about that story is number one they thought of you as a resource right that says a lot right there about the impression that you made on them that they could even think of you to help them out at a time like that Number two, you're busy. You are a great agent. Great agents stay busy all the time. You had stuff, but here was something that became urgent. You canceled, rescheduled your other appointments. You drove 50 minutes. And then you didn't just like drop the the sump pump in there and go away. You sat there and monitored it. Because this is a problem that's, you know, it's ongoing. This, you know, it's still coming down. You sat there and monitored and made sure that these people were taken care of. And so we see that you've built a reputation that people know that you care for them. That reputation means that they call you. It means that they choose to list with you or buy with you. And when that's put to the test, you deliver. And in return... They tell all their friends and say, hey, Bryce is a great person to go to. This is what he did for us. And then that gives you opportunities. And not that doesn't happen all the time. It's not every deal that you do that requires something like that. But people know that if something does come up, that you're going to be there for them and have their back. And that's certainly a level of service that you just don't see in any industry. Really. Look, I, I've done great service for some people and really went bent over backwards on difficult deals where I seen them use somebody else on the next go around. That happens. It does. You're not going to win them all. But at the end of the day, I felt good about what we did and the overall product will always bring back returns. I'm always on the, the, the idea of whatever you send out comes back to you. Well, I love it. And that's where we, I love it. And that's one of the reasons I love working with you and your wife in this business. You're a great reflection on not just your own business, but on my business and on the industry as a whole. So I want to end with one question that I like to end with with everybody that I interview. And that is for all of those new agents out there, or maybe, like you said, maybe it was uh, another agent that had been in the business for a while, had things had tapered down, and now he's trying to build back up. What would be the number one piece of advice 
that you would give to a new agent or an agent that's trying to build their business? Well, um, for starters, you work with what you got. You don't have a lot of money. You're not going to be throwing up thousands of dollar billboards all over the freeway. That's not going to happen. And it's not necessary to be. Yeah, and it's it. That's not. That's not. How gonna, many billboards do you have? I at have. This point? I don't have a billboard. Not a single no, billboard, a billboard, Bryce. You're and, kidding me. How no. could you possibly be successful? Yeah. So, <laughs> um, but you work with what you have. Right. And what you have is your sphere of influence. So you're going to look at all your friends, family. Look. You don't want to be over pushy. You don't want people like ignoring your phone, right? Right. Um, but reaching out to all of them, there's a little thing called don't be a secret agent, mm-hmm. right? Secret agents don't work so good in real estate. Right. You got to let them all know. The problem is, is you can't just let them know once because they forget. They need to, you need to be in their mind. So when they see someone who has a deal or whatever, they might bring you up. So let them know first. Reach out to all your sphere. Let them know, hey, I'm doing real estate now. Whatever you could do to help me, that would be great. There is one little thing that might work um, that I did when I started was I found people who had other industrial things that they did, other sales type of jobs, Mm -hmm. and we made a shared agreement. So what we would do is I had a sphere on my Facebook account, right? Right. He had a sphere on his car selling account, right? Mm Mm-hmm and insurance account and all the other guys that do sales. I says, look, you post me 10 times on your social media at some point, somewhere, you know, somehow. Yeah. And I will post you 10 times. And then we got a little sphere of people. We had about 10 of them and we were posting each other on each. So now you're in their sphere of influence. Yeah. Being recommended by somebody inside that sphere. Going to somebody else's sphere of influence does not very is not very successful unless you have and in with that sphere, you know. Mm-hmm. So that was one little way to enter into some other spheres to help just kind of get a kickstart. But that's that's really how I started. That was the first thing I did. I love that. I call that the power team. That's a section in my training that I do with the Elite Agent Training Program is working with your power team. And I did something similar. I actually, this was old school before we <laughs> had all the social media stuff, but I made a newspaper. And, you know, I, I put it all together They'd all buy ads. We'd promote each other. I'd deliver a stack of papers to each of them. Same thing. I had about 10 of them. And I'd deliver a stack of papers where, you know, they could finish a carpet cleaning job and say, you know, as a a thank you to you or just just give it to them, you know, thanks for working with me. And they'd pull it open and they'd see a bunch of listings and they'd say, you know, as a as a courtesy or for all our clients, we're giving this away. There's like three or four thousand dollars worth of savings in there because everybody had a little value-added coupon that they gave. But it was the same type of idea. It was just pre-technology. Yeah. Well, so (laughs) I can tell you when, along the same lines, we decided to farm an area. I had this idea in my head that we would take this area and run Mm -hmm. it like a farm. Mm -hmm. So I picked a very large subdivision, not like an elite, nice subdivision, not the bottom line, just kind of in the middle. Okay? I hate going door-to-door and having people yell at me. So we came up with a new system. And I had a map, so I knew every person that I talked to. Now, I it, I did this for a week, and I got three listings Wow! out of this subdivision. Okay? And this was just door-to-door. Mm-hmm. What I did was I went, it was in the springtime, good time to start. Yep. I went and got free seeds. Or I bought seeds, mm-hmm. right? Whole, cheap, like really a whole bunch of cheap seeds that you could yeah. get. And I had them in a box, and I would knock on the door. I had our card on them. And I'd knock on the door and say, they would... 
be like, you know, hey, what are you doing to my door? Kind right. of, you know, how people are. Right. And so to offset that, we would surprise them. Before they could even say a word, I'd say, we're handing out free seeds. Would you like some? Before they can even say anything. So they would go from aggressive anger because you're at their door to, oh, wait, what? Yeah. And then the next thing you know, they're going through. And, and, and when they're trying to ask questions, I'll be like, you have these flowers or you have, you know, I just like, it's not, has nothing to do with real estate. I just set them all the way off. Yeah. And I passed out these free seeds to every house in that subdivision and went back several times. We got three listings out of there. It took a week. That's cool. It took work. I mean, if yeah. you want to work, oh, yeah, you can it's get a lot it. Of work. It takes work. I did that with uh, flags. I bought a bunch of little flags from Oriental Trading Company and went around before the 4th of July. And here in Utah, we have the 24th of July as well. And I'm like, yeah, we're, we're giving out flags for the parades if there's any you know kids or anybody that want flags. And and it starts conversations. Yeah, and, it starts conversations. Yeah. I think we spent about 180 bucks in seats. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. All right. Oh, there you go. There's there's a couple pointers to start out. Awesome. Thanks, Bryce. I appreciate you joining me today. Yeah, you bet. Thanks. All right. Appreciate it, Eric.